Today, I'm going to tackle somewhat of a difficult topic. I don't have a lot of stories to tell you behind it, and I don't know how exciting it's going to be. Uh, the first service was a little bit tough, but I'm going to do my best to really get you guys more excited today because I'm going to talk about a word that a lot of you don't know a lot about, and nor is it a word that I talk a lot about here, and that's the word doctrine. And I'm going to talk about doctrine today because I'm in a series titled Normal People Living a Supernatural Life. And what I want to see more than anything is that we live normal according to what the Bible defines as normal. The challenge is, is we've got this doctrinal divide in the church where there's too many churches that are divisive and are disagreeing upon doctrine. And if we're ever going to go where God's called us to go, as a local church and as a body all over the region and around the world, I believe that God wants us to get lined up with what the word says. And the only way that that's gonna happen is if each of us begin to grow in our understanding of what real healthy biblical doctrine looks like and what normal looks like. So if you look in the Webster's Dictionary of what normal means, if you look up the definition of normal, normal means what's typical, what's usual, or what's the custom. And so when somebody does something in your home or at the church or in, at the, your job or, you know, in society, and we won't talk about drivers in Corpus Christi, but if people do, th do things that are not normal, right, they're doing things that aren't typical, aren't usual, and not the custom. And that's why here at Rock City Church, we talk a lot about culture, and that culture is what defines what's normal, Okay, so what are the things that we embrace and the things that we do that we believe are normal? And normal has to line up with doctrinal understanding, okay? So I'm gonna be a little bit more teachy with you today, but I'm gonna try to not go way over your head. What I want you to know is in the Bible, there are many occasions where the Apostle Paul and even Jesus said, there's a lot of things that I wanna tell you, but you've got, you, people have gotten dull of hearing or they're unable to comprehend them. And there are many cases where the Apostle Paul would say, I want to teach you deeper, meaty things, but you're still on the bottle, meaning the milk of the word. And so there's this understanding that we must be progressing and growing and learning. Now, Barna did a research not long ago that identified only 17% of Christians read their Bible on average. And I will tell you, as a pastor, I would believe that number is really true. Because when I'm dealing with people that are misguided, battling confusion, misunderstanding, offenses, angry, depression, addiction, broken relationships, broken marriages, can't keep a job, and the list goes on, more often than not, about 99.9% .9 of the time, those people aren't reading their Bible or spending time with the Lord. Now, let me make this clear. People can read their Bible their entire life and be dead as a doornail. Knowledge without understanding in the spirit of God is useless. It's not just about knowledge, but we do have to become academic students of the word. And that's why what I try to do every time we gather is to bring you deep, meaty things of the word, but give it to you in a way that's palatable. So I try to explain it with stories or explain it to you in a way that you can understand because you've got to be able to apply the word to your everyday life. You've got, if you can't live what you're reading, if it doesn't become you, then you're just reading pages in a book, okay? That's why it says in John 1 that the word became flesh. So Jesus himself was the word, he became flesh. And I believe, as the Bible says, that we're living epistles read by all men, meaning that now the word becomes flesh, you become the word, 
And when people look at your life, they see him, okay? And so we've got to break this cycle of lack of understanding and knowledge, no Holy Spirit, and not understanding sound doctrine, okay? Because you're going to get questioned. Somebody's going to question you. And you're going to get challenged, especially when you decide to go after more that God has for you. If you start to step into more and decide to break average, somebody's going to challenge you. I guarantee it. And what you can't do is just say what the pastor said. What you can't do is just say what the TV preacher said. What you can't do is just say what you think the Bible says, but rather become a student of the word so that you can do several things. Reprove, correct, be instructed in righteousness, and be fully equipped for what God has for you. And I'm going to show you that in the scripture today. This is a very alive and vibrant spiritual church. This is a place that embraces the more that God has. So we go after it. We want it. We're hungry for it. And most people are never going to question you if you go to that crazy church that believes in healing. They're not going to say to you, oh, you go to the church that believes in healing? Wow, that's weird. Because that, most people aren't going to say that. But what they're going to say is, oh, you go to that church that believes in deliverance, casting out demons, praying in tongues, prophecy. They're going to use those types of things as dividing lines. Now, that's one of a thousand things. There are a lot of doctrinal differences in the church. But sadly, those, some of those areas and a move of the Spirit and an outpouring of the Spirit tends to be pretty divisive and contentious in the church. We get, I will get, and you will get more flack from Christians and religious Pharisees, Christian Pharisees, than you will the world. Mark my words. And so knowing your Bible and knowing how to be skilled and to be accurate with the sword is critical. And what I want you to do is I want you to live normal lives supernaturally. I want you to get J-O-Bs. I want you to work. I want you to live peaceable lives. I want you to, to be productive in everything you to do, but do it in a supernatural way. Because we have all walks of society, from refinery workers to government workers to city workers to baristas to McDonald's, I mean, you name it, to hospitals. Every sector of society will be represented in a normal, healthy church. And we all work jobs and we're all influencers everywhere we go. So it's important that you become skilled, you become accurate, and you become wise. There are a lot of things I want to teach you and dive into. But if you don't get an understanding of the word and become students of the word, then what I teach you will go right over your head or spill out on the ground. So each time we meet, what I do is I take a nail in a, in a sheet of plywood and I, start, I hammer the first hammer, maybe the second, maybe the third, and then I leave it. And then you go home and you hammer the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh and drive that nail in. Or I'll start the drill for you. I'll start it and then you finish it. Or I'll give you enough water to get going, but now you continue to cultivate the seed and germinate what's inside of your heart, okay? And so you can't just keep hearing the word and not be doers of the word, but if you don't hear it and you don't know it, you'll never be able to do it, okay? And so normal's defined as what's typical and what's usual. It's what's normal. And that's what the Bible teaches us, what's normal. Another word, another meaning for normal is to be average. How many of you just want to be average? Don't raise your hand. Because <laughs> nobody wants to be average. If you say, I just want to live a normal life, I just want to be normal. I don't need all that prayer and intercession and fire and warfare and worship. I don't need all that extravagance. 
and you just want to live average, you're never going to experience the more that God has for you. Because the Bible repetitively teaches us patterns about being diligent, about having a one thing mindset, about ask, seeking, and knocking, about daily bread. There's so many scriptures that talk about being aggressive towards the things of God, not passive or lukewarm. A lukewarm lifestyle will cause nauseousness to Jesus and he'll spit you out. It's nauseating. Lukewarm is nauseating. And being, being a religious hypocritical zealot isn't any fun either. I don't wanna be around people that talk super Christianese and religious talk and are boring and stiff and they don't have any joy, any fire and any power in their life. When I, I mean, I love everybody. I want everybody to come but I'm saying, who wants to hang around somebody that's ultra-religious, that's constantly speaking Christianese and bashing you with the Bible? Or they don't have any fun and no, there's no joy in their life. I'm trying to ask myself, what does it mean to be born again? Because when you're born again and you get saved, it's the word sozo, and it means to be animated and vibrant. And so I've been saying this lately. How do you act when you've been raised from the dead? Because you were once dead, Jesus, was, Jesus gave his life and resurrected, and now he lives, so now we go to the cross and die, get born again and are resurrected, hence our life should have an animated excitement and vibrance, and it's not fake, and it's not hyped up, and it's not made up, it's real and it's authentic. When you've been delivered from drugs and prison and a lifestyle of promiscuity and being a con man like I was, I'm going to be fired up, and so should you. And my kids hopefully will never go down that road and can live fiery and excitement and an exciting life because I can show it to them. So going to the beach, camping, fishing, whatever it is that you like to do gets a lot more exciting when Jesus is first. Amen. A lot more exciting. And so today what I wanna do is I wanna challenge you to not live average. I wanna challenge you to not live average. Average is an enemy. Average is an enemy. And God doesn't want an average church. It's one thing to have a form of godliness, but it's another to have godliness with power. In fact, let's look at the scripture. I'm gonna go off the cuff. Jump over to another scripture for me. I'm gonna just read this to you real quick. It's, this is a good feed forward into what I'm about to teach you. It's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. So the beginning of 2 Timothy chapter 3 says in the end times, it's going to get really bad. I mean, people are going to hate people. It's going to be brutal, perilous times. People are going to be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, greedy. And it uses this word brutal. And here's what I know. You can try to live in an isolated bubble. That's not the kingdom. We live public lifestyles. Outside of this church, it's brutal out there. However, I don't see it that way. I see life as adventurous and exciting and I see it differently because when I see him, now what I look at gives me a new set of eyes and now I see somebody and people the way God sees them. Nobody wants this victim mentality lifestyle that the world's all gonna end and it's so bad. We should just push the button now if that's the case. I'm not gonna raise my kid in, in a depressive way. I want my kids to be fiery. I want them to live fun. We fish, we camp, we hike. And you know what else we do? We lay hands on the sick and we pray over our construction workers. And when they're up here and people are getting poured out, well, at least we try. Now my son's three and he was doing the worm down the aisle earlier during worship. 
My son's got the attention span of a gnat right now, okay? Now, the thing is, is there's, you can have a form, you can morph. The word form is the word to morph into godliness. But it says people that have godliness but have no power, this is extreme. This is extreme. Turn away. Because you know what those people will do? They will suck the life right out of you and they'll cause you to live average because they're living average. Average people want you to live average, don't they? No need for all being loud and excited and fiery. And Why do you have to worship like that? Why is it so long? Why is it so loud? We don't have need for all that. But yet it's everywhere in the Bible. Shouting, instruments, worship, extravagance, dancing. Now, you don't have to do it all that way, but what you do have to do is worship with everything inside of you and embrace the more that God has in store because there's more that God has in store for you. So what I want to do is break you out of this. Let me show you a couple other quick things just on my mind. Matthew, these weren't in my original notes. Matthew 24, 11. In Matthew 24, it's talking about the second coming of Jesus and it's talking about what the end days are gonna look like. And, and Jesus says in many, many occasions that there's gonna be imposters, there's gonna be false prophets that are gonna rise up to deceive many. So if you don't have a understanding of doctrine and what the Bible really says, deception will come. But here's what's really bad is when somebody accuses you of being deceptive when you're not. That's why doctrine backs you up. They say, oh, you know, it's funny, this it says, and this is just, to me, the dumbest thing. Who cares that we pray in tongues? Really? It's in the Bible. It's just like me praying and living a normal Christian life. But what people, it's so amazing how the devil uses that one thing as a divisive thing. Are you go to that tongue-talking church? You say, yeah, did you know that there's about 25 scriptures that back up praying in tongues and God says he wants all of us to do it? Would you like me to show you? No, I don't have time. How about if I quote a few of the scriptures for you? No, 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 I don't believe all that stuff. Do you read your Bible? People don't read their Bibles. You gotta become skilled. You know, I shared this recently, but you know, in Braveheart, William Wallace's dad dies. He's angry, sent to fire. His uncle Argyle comes, there's the sword. He's thinking vengeance, I'm gonna cut all their heads off. And uncle Argyle says, before you learn to use the sword, you better learn to use this. Meaning become a student, become wise and become smart instead of being ruled by emotion, emotions and vengeance. So the Bible says that there's gonna be a lot of false, false prophets and deception that's gonna come up, but we need to, need to be aware and to become students of the word. It's critical. So this morning, I'm gonna help you break average. This morning, I'm gonna snap you out of average, or at least do my best. I wanna get you thinking, am I living an average Christian life? Because living in suburbia America with all of our nice stuff and living an isolated life unto ourselves is not how God called us to live. He called us to live public lives, but also to have a private time with him. So Jesus had a habit of going up to the mountain to pray. He would retreat often. And for me, like I don't have an office. You know that. Most of you should know that. My office is my truck. So I bought a diesel truck. Yes, I have some trailers for my business that I have to pull, but I got it more so because I sit for five or six hours with the Lord in my truck. I go by the water. I love to be outside. I go under the bridges and I can't hide very well because my truck has a license plate that says Rock City. 
And anytime I go, I already know wherever I go, it's going to be an opportunity at all times to minister to somebody. Now, don't come trying to track me down. I'm not that hard to find, okay? But the point is, is that I like to be out by the water. I like to be at places where I can experience God's creation. It's just something that I like. But I also like going into our rooms. We, we set up a room in our house that's a place of intimacy. It was gonna be Eden's room. And now we turn it into a place where Amber and I go to retreat and spend time with the Lord at our house. But we live lives that are demonstrated publicly, and we live lives where whatever we do secretly, God reveals publicly, okay? And so in Matthew 6, it says to go into your room and seek the Lord privately, and he'll meet you there. It says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and your father, who's in the secret, will pray or will will be with you, and he'll hear you, and what's done privately, he'll reveal publicly, So there's a private and there's a public. And so we have to understand from a doctrinal understanding and this mindset that God doesn't want you to live average lives. And so what we do here at Rock City is constantly paint the picture of what's normal. And then you go and learn it for yourself, okay? So a few understandings of things that are normal that I really like a whole lot are this mindset that, if I put God first in every area of my life, Matthew 6, if I seek him first before everything else and his righteousness, all things will be added to me. Now, I love this scripture. This is a staple scripture of my life because when I wake up in the morning and first thing I do is go to the bathroom, the, the temptation is to get right onto my email, my text message, or check the news. God's convicted me about this many times because it's the first thing that I do in the day. Or if I can hold it before I get out of bed, I, instead of going to those things, I go to the word. I want to get the word right inside of me right off the bat. This is what I do. Not out of religious duty, but because I'm longing and desiring to be nourished, to be strengthened, to be equipped, to be trained for everything that lies in front of me. Everything. See, average will keep you back from that. Too many men get up right off the bat in the morning, put their feet down and race right off to work, and there's no thought of putting Jesus first. Maybe I'll get to it on my break. Maybe I'll get to him on my lunch hour. That's not how God wants you to live. See, if your career and your money and your business is before the kingdom, you've got the cart before the horse. Here's why. Does God want us to make money? Yes. Does God give us vocations and careers? Absolutely. Does God want us to have stuff? Yes. But he wants us to possess things, not things to possess us. And he doesn't want me to become a slave to my stuff. And second of all, if my ambition is to make money instead of to know him, then I get things backwards. But if my ambition is to know him and fuel the kingdom, God says, I'm gonna expand your territory. He says, oh, you, you... When you get the main thing, the main thing, and you seek first, see this scripture, I'm teaching you a lot today, but just slap yourself left and right, take some notes, do whatever you gotta do. If you read your Bible, you would know the context of this scripture, or you should know, and if you don't, go read Matthew 6. I'm not trying to beat you up, I'm challenging you firmly today as a spiritual father. This scripture is in the context of chasing what you're gonna wear, what you're gonna eat, what you're gonna drink, and the cares of this world. Everything revolving around this scripture is take no concern for tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. In this world, you have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. 
Don't be like the pagans where they're chasing after what they're gonna eat, wear, and drink, and in turn, they have anxiety, but rather know that your father knows what you have need of before you even ask. I'm giving you all a math, bunch of Matthew 6 right now. In fact, there's a whole bunch of other stuff in here, how to pray, all kinds of stuff. So he says this powerful thing. He says, if you're looking for expansion, if you're looking for all those things, here's a great way to get it. First, seek the Lord and the, the moral righteousness that he provides because real prosperity comes from being mentally put together so you have wisdom, knowledge, and understanding to make right choices. That's where real prosperity comes. Real prosperity comes when we, are, we have a sound mind to make good decisions. And let me just tell you how good the Lord is. You could have done a ton of drugs. I'm talking the worst of the worst drugs and God can renew your mind. Take it from me because I did some bad stuff. And somehow, my wife still didn't understand how I did it. I graduated Old Roberts University with honors. She thought it was a miracle that I ever could have done that. <laughs> All those brain cells that I fried, God restored me. Now, sometimes my wife doesn't think so. She thinks I've really lost it. <laughs> so what I want you to know is no matter what you've done or where you've gone, God can fully restore your life. And God can give you the ability to make good, sound decisions. So there's this awesome book by a guy that went to Oral Roberts University that I had met in Tulsa called An Enemy Called Average. It's by a guy by the name of John Mason. Listen to what John Mason said in his book. It's a great book. He said this. He says, every one of us has an incredible opportunity before us every day. We can choose to be a person who is on the offensive, not the defensive. Never try to defend your present position or situation. People who live defensively never rise above average. Decide to be on the offensive, to take the initiative. Lukewarm, indecisive people are never secure regardless of their wealth, their education, or their position. Never let your quest for balance in life become an excuse for refusing the unique, productive, and invading move that God directs you to take. Many times the attempt to maintain balance is really just an excuse to stay lukewarm. Why do I love that so much? <laughs> Never let your quest for balance become an excuse. Never let it stop you back from the more that God has in store. And if you don't like the current situation or tone of your life, choose to take the offensive position and watch what happens. Taking the offensive starts by making an inward decision that inspires outward action. When you expand internally, God expands you externally. If you're chasing external expansion and not chasing internal expansion, then what you get will, will fall through your hands like water and cause you to live average. I don't believe that anyone wants to live average, but sadly, so many people do. In fact, in Corpus Christi, the national median household income is below the national standards. There's a lot of average and there's a lot of people living below average. 
in their income, in their jobs, in their family, in their belief systems. We have poverty mindsets all over this city. And that's why God put Rock City Church in Flower Bluff, in an area that, it's, that has a lot of oppression, a lot of darkness, because he knew we could be a light to shine even brighter where it's the most darkest. And so God wants us to break poverty mentalities, to pray and to trust and to become spiritually fervent and on fire. Because there's one thing that affects less than average more than any other. There's one thing that affects poverty mentalities and all the other things of this world more than any other, and that's your spiritual life. How you live for Jesus, how you desire him and pursue him and come to know him and what you believe about him and allowing his transformation. Because I know six millionaires that love Jesus, but at times find themselves in very, very dark hours. And they, just like everyone else, needs Jesus as much as the guy living under the bridge does. Understand? And so of all the ideologies in life and what's defined as normal standards, we have to find the one thing that matters the most that's real normal in the kingdom of God. Psalm 37, verse four. I love this scripture. This is normal. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll do what? Now, giving you the desires of your heart, you know, not everybody has a right desire. Am I right? Sometimes people's desires are pretty mixed up. So the understanding here is that when you put your full love and joy and passion and excitement in the Lord, then he shifts your heart to have the desires that are best for you because the Lord knows what's best for you in his timing. For some of you, if you would have made a bunch of money or had a bunch of stuff early on, you'd be probably dead. If you do the statistics on lottery winners, just look Google. Lottery winner statistics. I think it's something like one out of two or one out of three have committed suicide. Their life, they, the money got stolen, robbed. They fell into drugs and addiction. And you think, we think we can handle it all, but the truth is, is God knows what's best for you. So what he does is he teaches you to be faithful. He equips you. He cultivates you. He nourishes you over the course of time. So my first job was table waiting. I went from table waiting to working in an office cubicle for $15,000 a year. The Lord taught me to be faithful there. Then he took me out of that and put me into a job for $32,000 a year. He taught me to be faithful with $32,000 a year. And then in six months, I went to $41,000 a year. And then in five years, I went to $160,000 a year. And all along the way, I was totally dependent upon him and trusting him without hoarding, being greedy and trying to keep it all for myself and allowing the money and the things I had to ruin my life because I started out totally dependent on him. And there's a lot of people that start out very prosperous and then God whittles them away or they crash and burn to bring him to a place of total dependency. That's why you never hold on to anything too tight so that God doesn't have to pry it out of your hands. Amen. So you delight yourself in the Lord. That's normal. This is normal. The, the fire stays hot because I've got my delight. What happens if you, how many of you like beach bonfires? Come on. How many of you think you're like the expert beach bonfire builder? Go ahead. You think you're the most, I knew you were going to raise your hand over there, by the way. What happens if you go out there and start that fire and then you just leave? 
What happens to a fire when it's left alone? What does a fire need to stay hot? Fuel, oxygen, and stoking. You got the breath of God, you got the word of God, and then you have people that will surely stoke your fire. Let me just tell you. Okay? So the Lord gives you the desires of your heart when you delight in him, and he makes sure that those desires line up with what's best for you and according to his will. And then he says this powerful thing in verse five, make the commitment. This is normal. This is commitment. Commit your way to the Lord and trust also in him. And what does he do? Whatever your present situation is. You know how many situations have come to pass in my life? Too many to count. We've been through some of the worst adversity, but you know what? They came to pass. And I learned this a long time ago. So when a hurricane or the loss of a child, some of the most difficult things we could have ever gone through, even in the midst of it, I knew it would come to pass. And at some point you just say, I'm gonna build a testimony no matter what I face. And like I taught you last week, you're gonna learn to keep your seat your governmental position in the Lord, and no matter what comes my direction, I'm gonna learn to not be moved or phased or emotionally unstable like a roller coaster, and I'm gonna fix my face as flint, and I'm gonna stay steadfast because I trust him. My life is in his hands, it's not in mine. Come on, guys. I'm preaching from years and years and years of experience and adversity. He'll bring it to pass. And that's a word for somebody here right now. This is doctrine. This is understanding. When you make the commitment, you trust in him and you delight in him, he gives you the desires of your heart and he makes the adverse situations come to pass in your life. Now he does it in his way and his time. Sometimes you wish you could get right out of the frying pan and be a lot easier, but that frying pan is cooking you into something good and it's making you to be what God wants you to be. And if you jump out prematurely, you're gonna miss the fiery trial that, that refines you because we need the refiner's fire to melt away anything in our life that's wood, hay, and stubble that's not built on gold. Come on, that is good preaching right there. It's not the most popular preaching, but it's the truth. So King David gets promoted from being just an average shepherd boy, playing his harp with his sheep for his dad and, and not getting offended at his brothers. And God promotes King David. He promotes David to be king. So David's got anything and everything that he could want, but all around the nation of Israel's adversity, just like today. And so nations were rising up against him and, and enemies were rising up against him. And, but David has pretty much anything he wants because he's got it all. He's the king. And he writes this powerful thing in Psalm 27 that I love so much that I think about all the time. It's Psalm 27, verse four. He says, of all the things I could have, I'm paraphrasing it for you. Of all the things that I could have in this world, more than stuff, houses, cars, and more money, or you fill in the blank. One thing, everybody say one thing. One thing. Do I desire? And I wanna become a man of one thing. I want you to be a woman of one thing. Let this be your prayer. That one thing is the side of the Lord and that, what, that is what I'm gonna seek. So the kingdom of God is built on asking, seeking, and knocking. How often? Daily. We live a life of pursuit. We live a life of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We live a life of delight. We live a life of one thing. And that is 
that we would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our life and to behold the beauty of the Lord. It's an understanding that I want to know him and gaze upon him and understand him. Now, David had a tabernacle where all of the psalms, most all of the psalms came from spontaneously as he'd cry out and they'd sing songs and they'd write them down. That's what the psalms are, they're songs. So David's singing this out before the Lord and scribes are writing them down. And so he's saying that I desire, his favorite place to go wasn't in his, in his palace. His favorite place to go was to dwell in God's house and to sit at his feet and to gaze upon his beauty. Now you can't do that 24 seven, but here's what you can do. This is what you can do. Psalm 91 verse one says, he that dwells in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. This is what happens. When I dwell with him, I get, when I dwell with him privately, then publicly I'm under his shadow. At work, in the marketplace, with your family, everywhere you go. How many of you would just love to live under an open heaven and just experience the presence of the Lord at all times? No matter what your natural circumstance looks like, that's breaking average. So look at verse five. Then David goes on to say, when I dwell there, when I gaze upon there, then he hides me and I'm not afraid. No, Psalm 27, verse five. He says, when I behold him and dwell in the house of the Lord and gaze upon him, then what I see, you know, it says to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. I've thought a lot about that. I'm just like, what does it mean to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord? I think what gazing upon the beauty means is that I experience him, I behold him, I don't always see him, but I know he's there. And now he gives me new eyesight and everything I look at is beautiful. I'm looking at the beauty of the Lord right now. And now, no matter how much money you make or no matter what your difficult situation is, no matter how seemingly insignificant you may feel, I see the beauty of the Lord. Because I become a reflection of what I look at. As in a mirror, 2 Corinthians chapter three, I go from glory to glory. And what I look at is what I become. But the natural man or the abnormal man looks at himself in a mirror and walks away and doesn't know what he looks like. That's not normal. So God's teaching us what it means to be normal and God's teaching us what it means to live upright. And then he goes on to say that because of that, when I'm in a difficult situation in the time of trouble, which you're gonna have, what does the Lord do? He hides you in his pavilion. And in the secret place of his tabernacle, he hides you. And then guess what he does? He breaks average and he sets you high up upon a rock. This is breaking average right here. Now you can attain this. You can do it and I'll be a clarion voice to challenge you every single day because the world wants you to be average. The world doesn't want you to be so super spiritual and to back off and why do you have to be so intense and how come you, all this, you know what? Just be who God's called you to be. Amen. But don't be average. And if you're gonna live a normal life, live a life that's passionate, that's offensive, that's not offensive like being offensive, though it will be, but offensive like on the offense, Okay. So the father sets incredible standards of expectation in his word. 
what was typical for the patriarchs, the disciples, Jesus, should be typical and usual for us as his sons and daughters. Just go read the book of Acts. A lot of people believe that what happened in Acts stopped with the apostles, but that's not biblical. And I got a whole slew of scriptures, I teach them all the time, that show you to the contrary. You gotta believe that God has more for you. Not only do we have to battle being average, but we have a greater challenge that too many people don't know what the exceptional and typical and usual looks like. Religion will rob you. Man-made religion will rob you. And a lot of us come to the realization that I've been robbed for way too long. So God has to undo ideologies and theology so he can redo you and rewire you to think the way God thinks. But that comes by spending time with him and in his word. So the word doctrine, it's kind of a neat word. The word doctrine means a set of standards held by the church, beliefs and standards held by the church. And it's what we teach from, which is the Bible. It's the doctrinal truths that come from the word and doctrine means I'm teaching it to you. This is why every time that we get together, I break the word down for you. And I, get, I try to give you meaty things. I try to teach it to you in a way that's relevant to your life, but has some weight to it. Now, for a lot of us, it kind of goes over our head. But I do, what I do want to tell you is if you'll stick around, you will catch it. Because it's caught more than it's taught. Just stick around. I promise you, don't give up. Don't back down. Keep pursuing him and keep sticking, staying here if God's leading you to be here. Okay? So when you don't understand what the word says and when you don't understand what normal is, then you're gonna think things are abnormal. You got to learn what real healthy doctrine is and you have to learn it for yourself. So now I'm gonna give you two final scriptures that sum up what I'm teaching you this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Now I'm gonna break these down for you, but you take it and apply it to your personal life. I take a lot of time before I come here to teach you this word and to break it down in a way that you can understand. And I try to break it down line upon line and word upon word, precept upon precept, which is also in the Bible, okay? So I take my time when I read the word. And by the way, if you're looking, especially for women, it's good for everybody, but if you're looking for some help in your Bible study time, my wife just wrote an awesome blog about how she spends time with the Lord and how she reads her Bible. And uh, that's on her website, which is edengrace.life. I'd encourage you to go there and subscribe. You get some sneak peeks into our personal life, which is okay, because we're not living a private life, people. And I work hard. I work very hard in everything that I do. I'm bivocational, I work a job, I employ employees, I carry a lot of weight, and I pay a lot of taxes. And I'm as fired up as I've ever been. And I'm not complaining and negative and apathetic or contentious. Amen. All right, thank you, Mama Colleen. I just love Mama Colleen. <laughs> Let me just say something about Mama Colleen. She's probably been my biggest fan for the last 11 years. She has loved and cared so deeply. Don't you guys just love Mama Colleen? Let me say to you, it, it's, she works hard to come here. And when she gets up there to pray in the prayer partner, team, prayer partner line, let me just encourage you, get up there and let her pray for you. And if she catches you on her way out, then you listen closely because she will prophesy and impart something right into your life, okay? All right. 
All right, you guys ready to break down some word this morning? That's what we've come here for, right? Okay. So I'm gonna teach you something really awesome this morning. The first thing is to be diligent. Now, the King James Version says study. This is an academic mindset that you are taking the time and being diligent over the long haul to study and gain understanding, wisdom, insight, and knowledge on a subject matter. Now, some of you, think about the job that you work. Like, for example, I own coffee shops. Now, I don't work behind the bar very much anymore because, you know, I'm doing a lot of other things. I've moved more into a senior leader over my businesses rather than working behind the bar. I run and manage things from a larger capacity. But in the early days, I worked it all the time. We used to open at 5 a.m. in Port A, and I was there. Now, thank God we don't do that anymore, let me just tell you. <laughs> 5 a.m. was early, but I did it. But I will say, and I'm, there's people a lot smarter than me, but I know how to make a pretty good cup of coffee. Part of the reason for that is we have an espresso machine, and my wife has a real addiction. And she'll admit it. She loves her cold brew and she loves her lattes in the morning, right? And so I know a lot about coffee. I think I'm pretty good at it and I think that I can lead and help you understand a lot more than you know. But take your career and what you know, in a lot of ways, you've become an expert in what you do. God wants us to be experts of his word. God wants us to become students that academically understand. So when I teach you things, you go, ah, Yes, where is that? Wait a minute, is that really in the Bible? Pastor David quoted these three scriptures, but how does that line up? And I'm gonna show that to you because rightly dividing means to cut straight. Rightly dividing means that scripture backs up scripture. So now I'm not coming up with some weird doctrine that's not biblical, but do we get new revelation? Yes. yes. That's the understanding of mysteries. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse one and two is that God wants us to understand mysteries. And also, as are, are new things being revealed in science every day? New breakthroughs, new medical advances, all kinds of things. And so I go get with the Lord and God starts speaking to me about, I mean, the silliest stuff, but fun stuff for me. I'll look at clouds. You see that cloud's got no water. Yeah, help me to understand what that means. He says, well, biblically, God doesn't want you to be a cloud tossed about by the water or tossed about by the wind with no water. And he starts speaking. Now, I'm not a great scientist, but God starts to speak to me about all kinds of stuff in his creation because his creation reveals himself, Romans chapter one. But what I'm not doing is coming up with some weird goofy goofball doctrine that doesn't line up with the word of God. So when false prophets come around, like we read about in Matthew 24, or people with forms of godliness but have no power, I'm understanding scripturally what they look like and what they sound like and whether it backs up with the word or not. Word or not. Got it? All right. So when I start challenging you into the more, because we're talking about normal people living supernormal natural lives, right? So if I want to take you into the supernatural arena, what I want you to understand is doctrinally what that looks like. So you know how I really started this whole series? I was reading about when Saul first got promoted to be the first king. And Samuel says, hey, I want you to go to Ramah and there's gonna be a bunch of prophets playing musicians coming down the mountain. And when you see them, a new spirit's gonna come on you. 
and you're gonna start prophesying. And then when the spirit left Saul, Saul was tormented and he was angry at David and wanted to kill David. So he chases David, David flees to back to Ramah. Now Saul goes back to the place he was promoted. And as soon as he, well, first he sends a delegation of three different warriors and soldiers. And when they show up, there's all these prophets prophesying and they start prophesying. And then Saul says, this is ridiculous. I'm going to go myself. I got chills just telling you about it. He says, I'm going to go myself. And when he gets there, he starts prophesying. He says, the spirit of the Lord came back on him and he ripped his clothes off and laid there naked and prophesied. Now, if I start teaching you that kind of stuff and you don't know doctrine, you're going to spin out and think I'm crazy. But it's in the Bible. And God began to show me that what's normal will change people's lives. And now Saul ripped off his garments and he had no more shame because God came on him and he wasn't hiding anymore. Now that's what I really wanted to teach you, which I just kind of did. Because God was saying when people walk in, read 1 Corinthians chapter 14, especially verses 24 through 26 talks about a public gathering where people are prophesying and somebody walks in and they suddenly hear people prophesying the mysteries of God and the intents of their heart and suddenly they fall on their face and they worship because they say, surely God is among you. Yes. And I'm, I'm, I love all churches, Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, you name it. I sit with those people, and even Catholics, I love them all. But I don't want a church that has no power and no spirit and no movement and no miracles and signs and wonders and people that aren't embracing the more God has for them. I don't want that and I don't think you do too. So you know what I do for those churches? I pray. Instead of saying, God, shut the doors. So instead of being divisive and say, no, I'd never sit at a table with a Baptist or a Lutheran. Instead, I say, I can't wait. How can I please get around them? And I'm not cramming doctrine down their throat. I'm just loving them really well because wisdom's justified by her children. That's how Jesus fought the Pharisees. He says, what will I liken this generation into? They're like children in the marketplace crying out, playing a funeral song and a wedding dance and nobody's dancing and nobody's crying. And he says, John the Baptist came preaching repentance and people said he had a demon he said, but I came hanging out with prostitutes and drunkards, and you say that I'm a whoremonger and a drunkard. And then he says, here's my response. Wisdom's justified by our children. That's why in the Bible, if you have kids in the natural, it's expected that our home life is in order. Now, I'm, now when your kids turn of age, if they get unruly, you did the best you knew to do, whether it was right or wrong, and they're of age and they're on their own. But when my kids are at home, let me tell you, if my little son kept throwing people's stuff down and doing the worm and not listening the whole time, and if he gets disrespectful, we're gonna step out those back doors and we're gonna have a conversation. I was about there this morning. And then they released the kids and we said, thank God. He, got, he had mercy today. He had mercy today. You say, oh, you discipline your kids? Well, let me just show you that the scripture says how God disciplines us. So we're diligent to present ourselves to God. So the first thing that we do is we become diligent to present ourselves. So what does it mean to present yourself? The first thing it means to present yourself is I drew near. 
So I'm diligent and I'm studying and I'm pursuing God because I want to know him and that requires me to come near. That's presenting yourself. Romans 12.1 says, present yourself to God a living sacrifice. Okay? So the first thing that we have to do is show up. So I show up, I present myself, I'm diligent to do it. How often do you think you should be diligent? Every day. So I, every day, I present myself first to God. Now let me help you understand what it means to be approved. If you don't know the mind of God or study this out, you're gonna think it means you better measure up. And so then when you fail or you fall short, you'll allow shame to hold you back and you won't present yourself because shame always hides. Remember that? Okay. That's what Adam and Eve did. So the word and understanding of approved is a very, very powerful word in the Greek that I'm going to teach you this morning. And that is the word dokimos. Now you say, well, why? I'm not ever going to remember that word. Well, maybe you will. Because in ancient Rome and in this day, you had a group of people that were called the dokimos. And these were money changers. See, back in that day, there was no banking system or paper money. There was no paper money or banks. So money was made by taking precious metals, melting them down. Now I'm gonna go somewhere with this spiritually. Think of the refiner's fire. Melting them down and then smoothing off the rough edges and making sure that it weighed the exact weight so that the value was exact. And what would happen is that people would overwhittle, meaning that they would shave those coins down just a little bit extra, and in turn, the coin would either be a counterfeit or it would have less weight than what it was supposed to have. So in ancient Rome, they would have like 20 or 30 different laws against whittling the coins down. There'd be great consequences in overwhittling them. But you would want to smooth down the rough edges so that one, it wasn't rough, and number two, it had the exact weight it was supposed to have. Now, you kind of see where I might be going with this? Because what happens is, is when I'm diligent to present myself, suddenly what happens is, is God whittles me, tries me, tests me, refines me, and then fully accepts me for who I am as I am. It's the understanding of take me as I am. It's the understanding that I see you for who you really are. And so there were corrupt money changers, but there were also money changers called the dokimos that would never accept anything that wasn't of the value of what it was supposed to be. They were accurate money changers that were legit and authentic. And guess what God uses today in the world to show legit authenticity? Real Christians that understand biblical doctrine and live what they stand for, we become the dokimos to the world. You understand that? So now what happens is, is I come before the Lord and he's the one that whittles me and makes me to be my value. And now I see you for the value of who you really are. And if you've been overwhittled, I say, ah, we're gonna make you back to who you're supposed to be because you've been believing a lie. And if you're rough around the edges, I'm gonna say, dude, you're rough around the edges. You're too harsh, you're too intense, back it down. You don't need to fight like that on Facebook and you don't need to run people over with a steamroller every time you get together with them, okay? And so standing approved or accepted means that I'm at my exact value as a son and guess what happens? Look at the next line. When you first come to the place of your accurate identity and who you are, then you can't wait to work for the Lord because you have no shame. Come 
This is the shame breaker. You want to break shame? Be diligent. Become a student. Become a disciple. Stand before the Lord in his presence and let him whittle you away. Let him cut out things outside of you that aren't right and make you to the exact value of who you're supposed to be because you'll stand approved and you won't have any shame and you'll be a worker and then you can take the word and rightly divide it confidently. So now when somebody says to you, oh, yeah, you got you." That tongue thing, that prophecy thing, that you guys are so extravagant. Why do you worship so this, so this? So, oh, you know what's in the Bible? Let me show you. Come here, I w- I'd love to show you. You want to spend some time in the Word? Now you start discipling because the great commission that Jesus gave in Matthew 28, 19 said, go into all the world and make disciples. And then he goes on to say, and teaching them. It's not just a matter of getting everybody saved. It's a matter of teaching them, which requires a cutting straight of the word. It requires scripture backing up scripture. I'd Please, please challenge me. Like I got on the plane. Remember last week I told you the story how I sat next to the guy. The Lord told me to keep my seat and the six foot five guy comes in and I, and I had him sit in the middle aisle and I felt a little bit bad about it, but God had prepared me for it. You know what he wanted to know about was the baptism of the Holy Spirit separate than baptism of water. I showed him four separate occasions where there are two baptisms. Four separate occasions on the whole two-hour flight. Scripture after scripture after scripture, it was, like, it was like school was in session. And he was rocked by it. Now, what's the word of truth? The gospel. The Bible. Backing, scripture backing up scripture. Okay? All right, you ready for your last scripture before I pray for you? I know I've given you a lot. You're not? Oh, I'll give you three more. No, I'm kidding. My wife's here. I can't do that. She's like, come on, hurry it up now. Stay on track. Last scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16. The word for inspiration means God breathed. It's the wind of God. It's the breath of God. It's the word of God. All scripture is given first. Make sure you understand that. So God gives you scripture. He gave the apostles scripture and had them write it down. He gave the prophet scripture and had them write it down. Now we're not adding to the word and writing new scripture, but God's giving us understanding and wisdom and revelation by his breath and understanding about God's word. So what you need is to be given scripture. You need to be given scripture. So when I sit with the Lord and I go to read my Bible, I say, Holy Spirit, show me what I'm reading. Give me wisdom and understanding about what I'm reading. Because when you read the Bible, it's not like just reading any other book. So a lot of people come to me and say, man, I tried to read my Bible. I had no idea what it was saying. I was totally lost. That's the way it was for me in the beginning. It was like reading Chinese. But then I said, Lord, open my eyes to understand. And I started to get devotions. I started to get study Bibles. I went to Bible studies. I got around people that could teach me. And I asked a lot of questions. Like, for example, if you are just starting out in the Word and you really want to learn awesome awesome understandings about God's word. Get the app, read scripture. It is awesome. It puts so much of the word in video form with drawings and it's an artistic expression of God's word. I absolutely love it. We love it. And she put that in her blog. Then I get a Bible that gives me content and context because I want to understand what am I really reading? And then believe it or not, I actually read introductions to the book. I want to know timelines. I want to know what's happening in that day and age. What, what's going on so that when I read, I'm becoming an, a student with academic understanding of God's word because that is what's going to enable me to do some of the things that you're seeing in the scripture. 
So what happens is, is God breathes his word upon me and then it inspires me. I do the, the best things in my life when I'm inspired, ask my wife. If I'm not inspired, it's hard for me to do a whole lot of things. I'm an extreme extrovert. I'm a high influencer. I kind of like some inspiration. I get inspired by words of affirmation. I get inspired when I have encouragement. My wife's smiling over here at me. <laughs> I'm not, she knows this a thousand times over. But the point is, is that when you're inspired by God's word, you profit. It benefits you. The word profitable means I'm benefiting. And what are you benefiting in when you're hearing God's voice? The greatest thing I can teach you here isn't signs, wonders, miracles, power, gifts of the spirit. There's somebody recently identified our church as the spiritual gift church. I'm like, what? We love this, the manifestations of the spirit, but more than that, I want you to know who you are as sons and daughters and know your identity. And I want you to have healthy families and I want you to grow into everything God has for you. And I want you to do it with power. And so it says all scriptures is breathed by God. It's prophetic. It's breathed by his pneuma, by his spirit. That's breath. Okay, it's pneumaticos. It's prophetic. It's God breathing upon you and inspiring you. And it profits you to understand God's word and to understand doctrine so that you can do four things. So that you can reprove. You know what reprove means? it means to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt. It means there's no contesting. Nobody can contest me in how Jesus changed my life. Nobody can contest you in the experience that you had. They'll try. And then by the fruit of my life and the way that I live, I prove the existence and the reality of the Lord. If you knew who I once was, if you knew me then, you would say, there's no doubt there's a Jesus. If you knew Reuben, if you knew this guy, people never in a million years would have thought he'd have gotten born again and be sitting second row reading his Bible and so fired up, right? So God, so now the existence of the Lord is proven when he captures a heart, but now we got a proven Reuben. Yes, proven Reuben is not backing down. And though we make, make mistakes, and though sometimes all of us can backslide, we slide right back into the kingdom because people love and cherish and God in his kindness draws you back. And you learn the mercy of the Lord. So scripture's inspired and it profits you for several things. First, for sound doctrine. The understanding of sound doctrine is that God gives you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And it's based on knowledge and information, but knowledge by itself is useless. Hence, you've got to have the next three life-changing components that brings from it. And the life-changing components are reproof, which I told you is a demonstration beyond a shadow of a doubt. It's real authentic conviction that's been proved, tried, and tested. When Jesus stood up to preach for the very first time in Mark 4, they said he was a man that preached with authority. Who is this man that preaches with such authority and real authentic conviction? And then the signs and the wonders and the miracles proved it. That's why 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says that the sign of a real apostle is the demonstration of signs and wonders and miracles. So it proves it. God's power proves it. Second, it's correction. Correction means to set the crooked path straight. 
So when you were crooked, God set you straight, didn't he? Correction is this understanding that God takes every area of our life that's misguided through his word, through his breath, through the understanding and sound doctrine, and he lines me up. And then finally, instruction in righteousness. Instruction in righteousness is the process of of nurturing and cultivating and training up a child in the way they should go. And this is what God does for all of us, is he instructs us in righteousness. He teaches us what righteousness looks like. And it means that he also chastises and admonishes us. That's what good fathers do. Now, I didn't have to take my son out back, and I didn't want to do that because it's probably not going to look good if I'm having to spank my, the pastor spanking his child in the bathroom or the hallway. Somebody's going to take that wrong. And I don't spank my child very often. I just want you to know that. But if he's being defiant and disrespectful and throwing people's stuff down, I can handle some running around. But if he's throwing stuff down and he's hitting and biting or, or doing things that children do, I mean, he needs Jesus bad. But until he gets Jesus, we're going out to the back of this building and we're going to have a discussion. Now, I've never had to do that just so that you know, all right? But I just see somebody walks in and thinks that the pastor is a child abuser. So thank God that didn't have to happen. But instruction in righteousness, instruction in righteousness is this understanding that God admonishes you and he chastises you and he teaches you and he trains you and he guides you and he leads you and he does it by his breath and inspiration and, and he teaches you through scripture. So I'd like to go deep with you guys. I'd like to bring you some meat. I'd like to keep teaching on the more that God has in store. Amen. But at some point I gotta stop and say, let's not keep being drinkers of milk. Let's move into the meat. Let's get off the bottle already. Let's move into the understanding that yes, we have faith. Yes, we repent. Yes, no more dead works. But now we move into the more that God has in store for us. And the more that God has in store is a greater understanding of how we live productive, normal Christian lives every day. It doesn't mean we're always praying in tongues and prophesying and doing all those things. It means we live lives of supernatural ability and understanding. And we know that I'm seated at the right hand of God. I have power and authority to affect every situation that comes in my way because I have lordship. And now I'm not living average. Who's ready to break average in their life? I wanna break average in my life. Let's all stand.